0: is doctor Nono with the Chocolate MDs here to bring you a brand new episode for this week. So I am joined by the none other than Dr. Chris. Hey guys. Dr. Sunshine. Hello my loves. And Amy Joe MD. Hey y'all. All right so it's been uh getting into summer you know summertime shy is not in full effect yet but it is getting there. Uh, so how are things going on in your respective cities?
1: Summertime so shot, you know sometimes I not gonna come around till like July.
2: Okay. Yeah. Much. <laughs> shy is not a thing okay. Like, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Stop playing. <laughs>
1: you know, you still in the forties and fifties. I didn't even I know. know. I'm, I'm like just, that's-
3: I'm just assuming. What is the weather in Chicago right now?
0: That is fully accurate.
3: <laughs> is, is it really forties
0: no, in Chicago right now? It was like fifties, yeah.
3: See, I
2: didn't even. It's know always that. like, but you know why? It's because it's around my birthday time, and I told y'all this when I moved mm-hmm. to Chicago. I'm like, oh man, my birthday's mid May. Mid May is dope. Like you know, people having weddings and graduations and spring. It's like it's beautiful. I mean, everywhere mm-hmm. else. And You're I moved right. to Chicago, and I'm like, why do we have this like, it, like on the day of my birthday? It told me like wintry mix. I'm like, what the hell is a wintry mix? Like what is right. that? it's like, oh, it's like snow and rain and sleet and, and all the things. I'm like, in May, though?
3: You're like, Burrell? excuse me?
2: Yeah. Right. And I'm like, it was, and literally every time my birthday comes around, I'm like I have to check myself because I'm like, this is a Chicago May, which means why are you getting excited? <laughs> you
0: know, Chicago, April, I get blizzards on my birthday. Like, it's usually the last blizzard we get of the year. And it's usually like the last, the third mm. week of April. And I'm like, what? I'm coming from Michigan, so I'm not super surprised, but I'm just very upset. Like when it does happen, like I'm not already expecting this. But, Me and Amy Joe, we good getting <laughs> all this <that laughs> super sunshine, no matter yeah. where we are.
1: Yeah, we in the summer, so it's summer everywhere. It don't even matter. We're mm-hmm. not like in the beginning of summer. We're like in the thick of it. Really?
0: Yeah.
1: Really? Yeah. August. Yeah, she's August. I'm mid-July. I yeah.
0: mean it's more. oh it's oh, oh oh
1: oh you mean for your birthdays I
2: thought you yeah. meant right now yes. oh no no, no, no
3: right no. now too Um, it's 80s it'll be 90s by the end of the week
2: oh man okay so oh, I'm, I'm double, I'm double it's shot not, it's not I'm that double hot shot. for me it's not <laughs> that
1: hot for me it's
2: like I was, 70s I was gonna say I already know cancer season Leo season y'all be y'all be shining in the summer I know y'all be shining, shining. shining.
3: Yeah. yeah all right
2: Oh, this hey. minute I've been losing my mind yeah that's my fault I did yeah.
1: that
2: I did that that's my fault I'm just going to stop talking
1: you know once you start amy joe i'm gonna join in that just Mm. that's just how it happens you already I'm,
2: I'm going to let the audience know that since I do the editing, there was an episode, maybe like six or seven episodes ago. <laughs> they went on a whole like Zodiac tangent <laughs> talking about like their dating experiences with other different Zodiacs. Oh, oh, yeah, like, yeah. And I was like, I'm going to cut this out. Uh, this is, <laughs> <laughs> like This has nothing to do with medicine. Like it was like, a, y'all talked about that for a firm, like 20 minutes. Like, girl, you girl, you dated a cancer, mm, a, canc- a cancer man. Oh, I remember oh, I that. Remember. I, I think, was like, what? That was somewhere like in the
0: early, uh, I
2: think early it was, of this it was year. Yes. it was a while ago, and in my head, I was like, maybe once we loosen up a little bit, maybe we'll go back to that. But I was like, y'all talk for like twenty minutes no, about you these zodiacs. you were so
0: serious. You can talk about zodiacs for a good like hour easy. That could be a whole episode. It I was think.
2: mainly it was mainly Chris because Chris was like, okay, I'm a cancer female, but like you know the the men that are cancers, they are I, I would never date one. And she was like yeah. so passionate about <laughs> it, and I was like, wow, and I was like, okay, cool, cool. Cancer, that's hour, hella emotional. Are.
0: emotional. That's what they're known for so i can only imagine what the men would be like you know
2: i know listen
1: there's only room for one emotional person and that's me
0: sorry
1: because <laughs> uh-huh. i could go through all the emotions okay
2: <laughs> and chris would be like but wait but why are you emotional Because right. so that's, that's not cool i can be emotional right that's the
1: problem right that's, I need you to I need
2: I need you to hold it together though right because like why why I say something to you
1: and then now you like you hurt and you like boohoo crying I'm like wait but
2: why
3: <laughs> exactly
2: <laughs> but why and I'm confused because I'm trying to understand but you're also a cancer but you're also a New Yorker so it's a really weird mix there it's it's, hard. it's, 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 hard. it's a lot it's a lot yeah. happening there that 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 that's shell is a that shell is a little too hard. That like that, that shell does. is like that shell is like gangster. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, is. it is. It is. It is. And every now that we should do something real nice and wishy, because you're be like, oh, Chris, that is so sweet. <laughs> I know, right? I
1: surprise myself sometimes. What are you, Doctor Sunshine? I forgot.
2: Me, I'm a Taurus. And Amy Jo,
3: I'm a Leo. Come I mean, on.
1: So much. Come on. She is all the so way much, I mean, strong. Okay strong personality i'm a leo all the way
2: i don't even august. like i don't even like leo's season i just want to i every time it come around i'm like man we gotta fast forward through this thing <laughs>
3: They're gonna come get all this leo love okay because
2: you know what there's also nothing big happening during leo's season as in like nothing big as in like there's no major holidays or nothing we, it's Honestly. just a holiday what you okay. mean we, anyway we are it's to- like august <laughs> like what is no one we, doing we are in august <laughs> Gee, August, me, August it's back is to like school. back to school. Yeah, August <laughs> is like back to school. If you in the South, it's hot as hell. Yes. Yes.
3: <laughs> Listen, the Lord knew that when we came around, uh huh we Needed to clear the calendar because celebration <laughs> is for us, all right. Okay, don't no right. need to be sharing it with no holidays. Like, we well, just here to celebrate. Myself preach. wants to celebrate myself, you know what I'm saying? Preach. Like,
0: preach, <laughs> preach, yeah. How Leo you sound right now, but that I I don't even know why I asked. I should have just assumed it was, it was gonna yo, be yo. They are like their times. own
2: party, like, they, yeah. they don't even wait for somebody else to compliment them or be like, oh man, look at Leo season. They'd be like, oh, it's Leo season, like, they'd be Listen. so yeah, yeah like, worse
0: than some Aries, and I, I. Speak for my own I'm with it. I'm y'all with it. Y'all not going to take enough. us down. I'm not going to wait <laughs> on y'all to give me no
3: compliments. I'm going to party myself. <laughs> mm, 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 mm.
2: Yes. So I have the trending topics. Well, mm. it's a topic, but we can possibly do topics um, uh, for this episode. And one, I'm just going to mention like super briefly. I'm going to make them both brief because I'm not trying to like bring the mood down too much because the second one's. Kind of just like facts, but it's kind of on the sad side. The first trending topic I'll just mention is um, because the CDC just put out their (laughs) new mask recommendations, I think that we should at least throw that in here and talk about it. Mm. So um, for those of you that follow the CDC, either on like social media outlets or watch the news or whatever, um, the CDC just basically put out new recommendations that says that if you are fully vaccinated, that they basically said that you don't have to wear a mask in the majority of most indoor settings, um, which is a very huge recommendation because there are multiple settings across the nation where people are like, wow, didn't see that coming, didn't know it was gonna be so soon, don't know how we feel about it. And it's actually causing individual governors um, for each state to kind of say how much or not they're going to honor this. Um, And of course, this differs state by state. Our governor in California was like, whoa, hard stop. (laughs) Let's (laughs) talk about this. (laughs) Because it was also because it also has a lot to do with um, how people are going to police it. Right. Like, are we checking for vaccination cards at restaurants? Are we, you know, checking for these things at bars? Like, you know, there's no infrastructure in place to like just make that happen overnight. Um, so I think that's what a lot of the states are trying to figure out now, unless you're in a state that didn't care in the beginning or still doesn't care now and ain't no difference. So I think it, I think it all depends on, you know, where you're at in the nation and, and what state you live in.
0: So I, you know, I, I kind of have an issue with that, you know, as soon as the CDC released it, I was like, Oh my God, it's, it's going to be just a shit show for like the rest of the summer, you know, mainly because, you know, with that you are, so everyone's going to take off their mask. And on top of that, we already had issues with people getting vaccinated. And then, you know, people who weren't vaccinated, we had issues with them telling them to wear their masks. So now with this new mandate that came out, the CDC is like essentially like trust that the person next to you is vaccinated and that they can take off their mask and you guys can be coexisting in the same space out in public. But we already know That that is definitely not going to happen. There's going to be people out there that are carrying the asymptomatic form of the infection. And if you're exposed to people in your your home, like your homestead that aren't haven't gotten vaccinated yet, then you're still at risk of spreading that, you know, throughout the household. So for people who aren't vaccinated yet, you still you know, you still need to wear your mask until you can get vaccinated because you do still have that risk of spreading the infection to other people around you who have not gotten vaccinated yet. So that's that's the issue that we're having that we may never reach herd immunity until people see that you know, make that realization. So,
2: and even I was having like a recent conversation with some of my family members, because, you know, when we, when you start talking about like, you know, family reunions and summer times come and stuff like that, I mean, to be honest with you, if you really just look at the numbers, like I'll use a perfect example, state of Florida, right? In the state of Florida for the entire state, only a third of the people are vaccinated in the entire state, Mm -hmm. a third, right? Right. And then if I was like, all right, cool, let me look at my, let me look at my, uh, let's look at South Florida, let's look at, you know, Fort Lauderdale in particular, it's about 40% vaccination rate, like 40 to 44% vaccination rate for Fort Lauderdale, which has 2 million people, right? This is like part of the greater South Florida area. So I'm like, all right, if we're really just going to go like balls to the wall, no masks and indoor settings you know, and you're under the impression that everyone around you is also vaccinated. And, or that's not even the impression. <laughs> I, you know, the math doesn't make the math doesn't make sense is all I'm saying.
0: And then on top of that, like we still have these variants that are circulating out there and we're still trying to do the research to see how well the vaccine kind of stands up to them so it seems kind of premature to lift the mandatory mask mandate until we've had adequate research into how the vaccine is going to respond to those variants. So that was another part that I'm like, this is this is too much too soon. And even though I love Chicago, they're talking about bringing back Lollapalooza, which, as we know, is one of the biggest music festivals in the world, Um so I'm, I'm, Girl, really-
2: because they saw, they saw how much money Rolling Loud is is bringing in. Listen, yeah, in July, and, uh, in July, the big rap fest, Rolling Loud, yeah, they already put out their lineup and everything. That's about 178 rap. Like anybody who has been a rapper in the last like 10 years is going to be a rolling loud. And it's all in Miami gardens. And it's going to be in July in person. They're racking up tons of money already from people like reserving hotels and clubs and VIP stuff like that. So then when other cities are like, wow, like look at all this money coming into the city, then Chicago's like, well, what about Lollapalooza? And then Philadelphia's over there. Like, what about made in America? (laughs) And everybody's like, Oh, what about Coachella? Like, I mean,
0: It's coming. I just hope more people can get vaccinated until those, like, I mean, we're going to start our music festival season, like, I think in the next couple of weeks or so, but I mean, I, we really do need to encourage more people to get vaccinated so that we can, you know, get that herd immunity. Cause I mean, there is going to be a spike after these concerts, um, whether, you know, you're going to look at the research or not. You know, I and mean, we need to be prepared for it.
3: 36% of the U S population is like, two like fully vaccinated, like two doses or more. And, you know, and, and of course we know that if somebody was, you know, deep diving into those numbers, if we looked at minority communities, minority communities are not vaccinated at 36%, they're not even at 36%. -hmm. Um, So I know at one point um, earlier on, I don't know what the numbers are at this point, but I remember like earlier on when when it was primarily like healthcare workers that were being being vaccinated. So this is like in the healthcare system where you got people in these hospitals, in these clinics, watching people, you know, you know, deal with COVID at like one point, I think like maybe like 70% of the white population in the health system were vaccinated versus like 30% of black people. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that if it's only at 36% of fully vaccinated Americans in the U S That the minority communities are going to just get slammed because they, you know, we're full of conspiracy theories, too. Like, you know, I ain't want to wear that mask. No way. I don't even really think I need it. I'm glad that someone has given me, you know, the freedom to do it. And you're right. since Nobody's going to be checking like, hey, are you vaccinated? Are you vaccinated? Are you not vaccinated? Everybody's going to be walking around without without mask. And even though we've been really clear, we keep saying like for the individual, vaccines prevent disease, not infection. Nobody's hearing it because I you know, my my staff argues with people on the on the phone all the time who are like calling after they did after they did Cinco de Mayo, you know, this dinner, that dinner, Mother's Day and all that stuff. And now they're like on the phone all week long. Uh, Can I get an appointment? Because I got a sore throat. My head hurts. You know, my nose is congested. I, I got diarrhea and I feel very fatigued um, and, and somebody needs to come see me. I know I don't have COVID because I got vaccinated. I'm just like, what are you talking about?
0: Nope.
3: Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: What it, What does that have to do with anything? Well, I just, I, well, I guess I was just hoping I didn't have it. Yeah. Okay. So now you're sitting in my office. We don't want it. Like take you and your COVID someplace <laughs> right. else. Yeah. Um, so it's gonna be it's gonna be a mess, and everybody's gonna forget that we told them you can still get COVID even if you're vaccinated, and they're gonna be out here kicking it, and COVID is gonna spread like nobody's business. More concerning, the the variants that aren't as um, that we're not as protected from are gonna spread because people are traveling.
2: Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah.
3: So this is gonna get real interesting, and and there is that five um, that unlucky what five percent. On average, across the board, for Moderna and Pfizer, that won't have the protections that will get seriously sick. So it's only ninety-five percent effective, which means that there's five percent people who still will get really, really sick even if you're vaccinated. And so it sounds great until you end up in that five percent.
1: Right. Mm-hmm. And aren't they even um, talking about uh, having to do a booster?
3: Yeah, boosters are yeah, coming. They were. I think Moderna's further them. along on their booster than Pfizer. Mm-hmm. But um boosters are coming because the concern is and, and variants. And the variance.
1: Well, I just counsel my patients and I'm like, I know this is what they say, but I'm going to need you to make smart decisions about what you're doing, right? Because mm-hmm. honestly, you don't know what everybody else's status is. When you go out, you don't know if this person is vaccinated or not. Wear your mask, protect yourself.
2: You know what's interesting that I think that. Our governor by algorithm, I mean, like the governor of California, I'm saying our like we all in Cali. But um, (laughs) (laughs) I think the interesting thing that my governor is trying to navigate is a lot of the people of San Francisco had a different viewpoint on this than he thought that they would, because unlike a lot of other cities, the city of San Francisco, or at least the San Francisco Bay Area. If you average that all out, we're about like 70 to 73 percent vaccinated in like in the San Francisco Bay Area. San Francisco, mm. I think, is a little higher than like Oakland. And like, you know what I mean, for the reasons we've all discussed. But as a region, we are highly vaccinated compared to other cities. So then they were like, well, let's just set a number. And once we hit that cutoff, like what is it going to be? 80 percent vaccinated? All mask, like mask off. And the governor was like, well, and then they're like, you we know, well, we've been doing what we're supposed to do. We firmly believe in vaccination. So why don't we all just get vaccinated as a region and we take our masks off and then kind of like not build a wall. But they're kind of like <laughs> 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 it's weird. It's weird. I don't know what they're trying to do because San Francisco- to be 13
3: colonies again.
2: <laughs> I, I know it's crazy. The San Francisco, but here's the thing though, San Francisco Bay Area has even handled COVID way better than Los Angeles. So like they're kind of like, yo, if you coming from LA, we ain't really trying to hear it. Like you all oh. stay down there. Like, yeah, because you know, LA and San Diego, they haven't been doing too hot. And you know, California is the size of a small country. So I mean, it's <laughs> we have so many people. Mm. Right. But it's it's causing, but ever since that notice came out from the CDC, every city feels differently about it. And you know, the governors are trying to figure it out. Like like everything else the governor's been trying to listen it's been rough a <laughs> whole I, pandemic season it's been I, rough for these governors man
0: <laughs> i just think that mandate was just, it was a little too early so that's i mean I oh think,
2: it's definitely too yeah. early that's the, that well i agree with that but yeah. i i was just interested to see how the san francisco area was like nah nah we're, we're cool with it though but uh <laughs> what about these other people like we don't want them in here i'm like oh my god it's it's crazy so it's
0: crazy wear your mask <laughs> just continue to wear your mask and listen if y'all, y'all been listening
2: yourself. to if y'all been listening to this podcast you know we didn't say wear your mask for like <laughs> since since episode one yeah. <laughs> episode yeah. one i think we were like well, wear, wear, your wear your mask, mask. <laughs> bye bye <laughs> yeah <laughs> so the second trending topic that i have um is actually not something i'm going to dwell on too much but i will let you guys know that there is a article in time magazine it came out basically in the most recent monthly issue of time and the title of the article is suicide among black girls is a hidden mental health crisis the article basically focuses on the massive increase in suicides that has happened like nationwide over the last about 15 years the cdc did a survey They've been tracking these numbers ever since the 90s. So they basically did a study from the 1990s up until 2018, I think is where the data cuts off because, you know, they have to do like new nuisances and stuff like that. But the new data that's coming in reflects the same trends that have been happening, which is between the ages of um, 10 and 24 years old, there has been an increase in 57% of suicides across the board. Wow. Like all, yeah, like Mm -hmm. all ethnicities, white, black, Hispanic, Asian. So kids between the ages of 10 and 24, there was a rise of 57%. But the Time magazine article basically stresses that one of the biggest reasons for that increase is increase in suicides of young black women. And then they go ahead and they break it down for us. And it says that they did a survey of high school kids and it found that 15, like one five percent of Black female high school students admitted that they had attempted suicide. And then and that's in comparison to 9% of whites and 12% of Hispanic female students. And then they also have a stat here that says of black American girls between the ages of 13 and 19, it's been a 182% increase from 2001 to 2017 of suicides. So specifically 13 to 19 from 2001 to 2017, increase in suicide death rates of black women specifically.
0: I had no idea. So, That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. So
2: the article, if you guys want to take a look at it, if you literally type in Time Magazine, black women suicides, um, it'll come up. What's interesting about this is that um, once you read the article and it kind of links you to a lot of other articles too, you know how they embed links within the article. Mm-hmm. It really talks about like um, a lot of the different factors that are causing this, socioeconomic, social media, stuff like internet, influences things stuff like that and one of the reasons why i wanted to bring it up is because we've talked about mental health a lot on this podcast because we kind of sprinkle it in pretty much almost every episode we kind of talk about mental health but the age ranges here are something that i really want to highlight because the whole study period starts at the age of 10 and then the most you know and the one that's affecting black women the most is between 13 and 19. So when you start thinking about like 10 year olds, 11 year olds, 12 year olds, like that's a really, really impressionable age. Mm -hmm. And it's also it's also an age that some people may think like, oh, well, you know, they're 10. Like, I don't know. I feel like I feel like that 10 year old, like end of elementary, kind of middle, kind of junior high, that era there. It's already a very difficult transition for people to deal with, you know, just at baseline. That's like. That's like not even me thinking about like oh like do you have a bed to sleep in like do you have resources like are you homeless like that's even like without thinking about all these other factors mm-hmm. just that 10 to 13 years old that's a that's a that's a rough time mm-hmm. <laughs> for a woman that's a that's a rough time yeah. period mm-hmm. um and i think that i think that a lot of the times you know when you're a teenager and you start thinking about like your mood, anxiety and depression and stuff, usually people start to catch you a little later, like 17, 18 years, old, maybe even 16 at the earliest. But I think that these are things that we need to start paying attention to as a people and as a village, you know, just like really thinking about the mental health aspects of the younger generation and how they're affected by so many things and even the TikToks and all the different stuff. So it's a dope article. You guys should definitely check it out. Um, yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? It, it, that's true. And you know, it's such a
3: I talk about depression a lot in my clinic, and I come across a lot of young kids that will actually in in the clinic and the young kids are brutally honest. I kind of dig them for that standpoint. That generally if you screen them, if they are feeling depressed, they will say it. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, if you get mom and dad out of the room and and you have a conversation, they'll be like Yes. And here's what it is. Right. They are the they are the easiest group uh, to to figure out. <laughs> Ironically enough, you know, we accuse like young people of not really knowing themselves, but they've been the easiest group for me to do uh, depression screenings on. Right. Because mm-hmm. it just is what it is. Right. Like, yeah, I do feel that. Versus adults be reasoning. Well, no, it's not depression. It's just fatigue. Nah. Well, kids are like, yeah, <laughs> no, you're right. And also sexual orientation. Right. Like when, when I ask my young kids, like it, especially ones that are like, um, you know, having some sexual interest, like, you know, what is your sexual attraction? Not this is related to it's kind of related because when they don't know, it gets to some trouble. But they are pretty open about their sexual orientation. Right. They they easily identify with what it is. And maybe it's because they're growing up in a, in an era where the, the terminology that Dr. Sunshine was teaching us a few episodes ago is just their language. And so they're very accustomed to using that language. And so they, you know, they can identify whether they think they're trans where they think they're, you know, uh, gay or straight, like, you know, whatever they define it, they will say it. And they're like, yes, it is. And when you ask them like, is this a part of the problem? They are very easy to say yes, no. And they actually are pretty easy to have to be willing to do therapy. The catch comes is I need to put them on medication and that, and the, Conversation about medication, they often want their parents involved, and I agree. It becomes a hard sell for the parents. Parents mm-hmm. will be down for depression, like, okay, that's fine, all right, you know, my baby is depressed. Yeah, but I think we need to do some intensive therapy and maybe try this medication, and then that's like, whoa, 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 you know, mm-hmm. uh no, and so it gets really hard. And so I worry
0: about young know, people when they're walking out the door, feeling the way they're feeling. I mean, that age range that you that you stated 13 to 19 was the
2: mm-hmm.
0: uh, I mean, that makes mm-hmm. that actually makes sense. I, I expected it to be probably the highest in that group. I mean, just for the reason that we we were talking about earlier, like it's you're going through a lot of transitions, not only in like education, you know, from grade school to middle school, which was uh, my middle school. It was terrible. And then from middle school <laughs> to high school and in high school, you're applying for college and like you're going through a lot of like changes socially and mentally during that time. And on top of that, like that is the age range for puberty. So your body and all the different emotions and the changes, physical changes that come with that, that is the that is the prime time for that. So, you know, from going from, you know, grade school where you're only being a kid, like your only thought was Oh, you know, who am I gonna, you know, chase in recess today? Or like what what type of game are we gonna play in PE or you know, things of that sort? You know, goes from that to, you know, to high school where you're trying to make more of an impression with people of the opposite sex or within your own sex. And even with that, you're kind of questioning those thoughts and those those feelings that are going on during that time. So Mentally, I can understand why that would be the group that would probably be the most affected by this. But what Amy Jo MD said earlier about making sure that you get them screened properly in clinic. And if you do, if they do receive that diagnosis of depression or not even that, it could be just intense anxiety disorder, uh, or it could be one of the um, access three disorders, Um, you know, anything, anything, if we have the solution to fix that, then please listen to us and we'll do our best to come up with a treatment plan that will be best for you and your kid, you know, all together. But at th- the very least, we want to make sure that they receive that proper uh, testing and treatment if if it's necessary.
1: So maybe people don't know. I watch a lot of TV. Um, <laughs> and so what I was going to say, a lot. I, I do, I do but i watched that show euphoria i don't know if a lot of people- oh yeah oh yeah oh, if you yes. watch that show euphoria and you see how these teenagers were i looked i watched that show and i'm like oh <laughs> that's what's happening in school like it's a lot like and with social media and like bullying and it's 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 a lot of stress for a teenager right so like and also your brains are developing and like when i think back of, of problems that i had as a teenager and i thought like oh my gosh it's like the end of the world it's really <laughs> right but then when you're when you're a teenager and you're in it right that's all you that's all you can think because you know you're developing that's all you know it's when you become an adult certain things you're like that's not really a big deal right like mm-hmm. so it's, it's really hard to navigate, and I think it's important to have open dialogue with these teenagers and talk because, like, a lot, and even in these shows, of course, like, I'm saying it, like, to a show. But one thing I did notice is that a lot of them didn't really talk to their parents, right? They don't talk and say what's happening, right? So it's just like they don't know what's going on, so they can't try to help you to get the help that, you know, try to navigate to help you to get the, so so you can get the, the help that you need, right? But you have to talk, right? You have to have that open dialogue. And teenagers feel like, oh, my parents just won't understand. They
2: don't know. But give them a chance. Yo, ah. that's one aspect of what's, what's oh so God, crazy. And just, I'm going to listen, I'm going I'm i I'm a just stick with euphoria for one second. That is one aspect of euphoria. I cannot like identify with at all. I'm like, why are all these parents clueless as to what these teenagers are doing? I'm like, if you knew how much my mama was in my business, like I kind of felt like she was just like, mind you, she, she is a high school math teacher and now she's an assistant principal of a public high school. So she's very savvy with the, <laughs> what the young kids are doing. Mm-hmm. She She's like, she's like, oh, I know what's going on. You want to go to the football game? Why don't you just ask me that? Instead, you try to sneak around. See, Mm-mm. she's just right. very, she's very on it. You yeah. know, she's so on it. But like, I'm like, yo, my parents were like clocking me like all the time. And I watch Euphoria. These parents are like blissfully unaware. Yeah, I'm you, like, what is that?
0: euphoria nah, is like <laughs> the most extreme example of like. Yeah, of course it's, it's extreme. Great. I mean, yeah. it wanted like an Emmy or something or something like that. But I mean, that's not. So euphoria is not everybody's experience, but it 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 does give an insight into that for sure. I I do agree with that for sure.
3: So I have not seen this because y'all know I don't watch TV. Um, (laughs) I'm horrible. I'm a horrible TV watcher. Like, no, everybody. Yeah, it's bad. Um, But I will say this, like, as a high schooler, I spent a lot of, me and my friends, uh, we spent a lot of time not with our parents. Mm Mm-hmm. So my experiences are a little bit different. Now, I don't know to what extreme because I don't I'm, I don't have the context here. When I was thinking about it, I was like, you know, there was a full day that happened. You know, like I left out of my mother's house at 5 a.m. And I may not get back till 7 p.m., 8 p.m. Do you know real. how much? and, and you, and, and this is, you know, this is not days where, you know, cell phones had 10 million tracking, you had unlimited text messaging. So you could just be out here like none of that. (laughs) And so, um, I think that it just depends on where you're from, right? Like, Mm -hmm. uh, parents being able to track children sometimes is a luxury that a luxury a lot of parents don't have right like a lot of parents especially you know I grew up in, I grew up in Chicago I'm from the South side and yeah I went to good schools but we were on public transportation going back and forth from high school which means that it was really just you and your friends and you got to make up a lot of rules about what was good and not good for you as a teenager. Uh, growing up. And there's lots of stuff that I think our parents just simply were not aware of.
1: That's very true. Especially if your parents work a lot and they're working and they're trying to put food on the table and they're trying to do things. They're not going to really be able to track you like that. So Mm -hmm. they have to, in a way, trust Yep. You are doing what you're supposed to do. What
3: you, and we did. We just added on some stuff, right? right so I right. think, we. Like, oh, did we get everything that I'm supposed to do done? Check. Sure. Oh, we got more time left? Listen, never un- underestimate the power of teenagers with an extra 30 minutes in their day. Like, there is so <laughs> much stuff that they can get into, which is why when I'm talking to my students, I'm like, let me, I mean, my patients, I'm like, let me, I'm going to get these parents out of I'm like, okay, for real, what exactly are you doing with those extra two hours? Because mm-hmm. is it something we need to talk about? Um, But, yeah, like I feel like when we left the house, when we were, you know, me and all my friends, when we were in high school, when we left the house, everybody left the house with a specific job. you got your tasks to do. I've got, you know, my parents got to go to work. I got to go to school. I've got practice. I've got games. I've got all this kind of stuff. And, you know, everybody had the different things. Everybody get their stuff done. We'll see you back here for bedtime. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in my house, like you, everybody went, they worked hard. So by the time I got home, sometimes dinner was already done because everybody was home. People needed to eat. You know, my mother needed to get to bed because work was going to start again in the morning. You know, my sister might still be up, you know, and then you get something to eat or you got something to eat on your way home. And so it was, it was very independent. Mm
2: -hmm. You know what? Now that Amy Jo really brings that up, I guess I never really thought about it like that because you're right. I could go to school, then go to soccer practice, then go work my shift at McDonald's and then come back home. You know what? That's very true. It's a lot of independent time. I didn't really think about it like that. It
1: is true. Mm -hmm. It is true. It is.
2: But all that being said, with that independent time, I'm with you guys because a lot can happen during that time. And you don't always know if what's happening during that time is a good or a bad influence on the teenager, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which is how we can easily end up in some of these situations. Now, before we transition away from it, there are a couple of things in this article that I did want to highlight real quick because it specifically talks about things in the black community in terms of the suicides. There is a section in here where, number one, they talk about how Um, because the story focuses on one particular girl and her suicide. And then it opens up to like the data in the United States. So in here, it talks about black Americans and how a lot of the teenagers who either attempted suicide or completed suicide said that within the culture, they've kind of felt like they didn't want to seem crazy. I'm using air quotes here. They didn't want to seem crazy or weak, which is why they never got help in the first place. So that was one blaring thing that like, is all throughout the article, how like, it's a cultural thing that, um, number one, people of color, especially black people don't want to come off as weak or crazy. And then the second blaring thing that's in this article is the fact that there's this assumption that black people don't kill themselves because that's just something that black people don't do, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of rooted in, in religion a little bit. And it comes from a lot of different places, but across the board, it's like, oh, kills yourself. Oh, black people don't do that. Like it's directly quoted in there multiple times. So um, I think that those are two things that we definitely need to to be aware of that like, you know, and you always have like somebody around, cousins, aunties, uncles, and they say it casually like, oh, black people don't do that. Or oh, like, what you know what I mean? There's always somebody around who has something casual and unhelpful and even harmful to say. And Mm -hmm. then we might just need to start having open discussions with our family members or even just calling it out when it happens. You know, if if I hear one of my uncles talking to one of my younger cousins, like, oh, nah, you don't need no help. You find like, No, like they're trying to tell you something like, listen, like, you know what I mean? Like, cause it's a, especially it's a cultural thing. It's a generational thing. So I think that all plays into it a lot.
3: You hear, you hear parents say it literally in the office as, as the, as they are discussing, like sometimes like parents will come in and they will be the people to initiate. Oh, we also had to talk about, uh, my, my kids mood. Can you tell my kid that what she needs to focus on is just focusing on being very satisfied with life she has so then she won't feel so bad? And I'm like, first of all, I am not a motivational speaker, right? I'm a physician. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> like, like, we need to do a diagnos- Right. What is the diagnosis, right? Like, can we start with that? But, you know, even in those earlier sentences, parents wrestle with depression, Right. And it's not till you lay it out for everybody. So sometimes I have to be like, okay, let's talk about how we define major depressive disorder. Like, here are all the criteria for major depressive disorder. This is how many you need of those criteria. And this is for how long you need it. Then all of a sudden, the whole the whole room, right now, mom and dad are like, well, well, damn, I'm depressed too. And the kid is there, like, save me, like, just you know, save me, please. <laughs> like, I just want, I just came to get some counseling. Mm-hmm. And so people downplay it, you know. You just need to, and, and it's all over the internet. Like I cringe, I cringe all the time when I see like those memes that are like, uh, happiness is a state of mind. So mm-hmm. if you would get focused on being happy, then you would just be happy. And so then there's people that are walking around and they're like, why can't I get out the bed until 5 p.m. And all I got enough energy for is to check to see if the kids are in the house physically. And if they are in the house, that's all I got. I might take a shower and I'm going back to bed. And you can't talk about that in public because people will say, well, you're just being lazy. Mm
0: -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. It's so, gosh, it's so complicated, but. It all depends on how you approach, approach it. So like if you, I, I, I also did hear this a lot in clinic, like parents would use a lot of minimizing language, Mm -hmm. you know, you know, things like, oh, you know, that, that's okay. Like everyone does that, or, you know, I went through that, you'll be fine. You know, think, you know, things of that sort. But honestly, if you take it, if you take the approach where, you know, I do with like all my patients, I, I go in, you know, I introduce myself and I just, I let them talk, you know, and you just listen you listen for those key things in the story that can help formulate, you know, more about what's going on and for us can help actually cinch the diagnosis for that patient. So if parents kind of took that approach to their kids when they had something happen to them at school or they're just, you know, not feeling a certain way, you know, just let them, just let them talk about it and just, just sit there and listen and go from there. And you can get, most of the issues that you need to address, like mostly in that method, so uh,
1: a lot of times as parents, you kind of you kind of raise your kids kind of like how you were raised, and what you, so you just do what you know, right? Mm-hmm. And the thing is that I think what we don't realize is that there's this trauma that's just passed down, right? Mm-hmm. Because your your parents were going, your mother, your parents were going through some trauma, right? Un- you you don't really know. But you kind of learn those same behaviors, right? And you learn to do that. And you keep and it's like a cycle that just keeps you just keep passing it down, right? And it's because no one ever unpacked the trauma, went through it, right? And so that if you grew up and your your parents were anxious, right? They anxious, they like, oh, we're afraid that you're gonna do this, you can't do this, you can't do that, then You get afraid to do certain things. And then when you have your kids, then you do the, And then you pass on that same anxiety to that kid, you know, and it's having to, to know, to break the cycle. Right. Hmm. And that's why I think it's important that everybody has a therapist.
2: Yes. Thank you for bringing that up, Chris. I was actually supposed to plug that at the end of all this. Yes. (laughs) Plug. All 'all, y'all, everybody. Everybody, everybody
3: everybody i wish we could give everybody a primary care doctor and a therapist like it was the part of, like the oh, thing you did uh, like, like that doctor. would be awesome where you'd be like yo who's your therapist oh i go to see such such we i see you know even if it was like i see her twice a year you know take care of you know these things and if you needed it more often obviously you go but i feel like just like people come get physicals or, or checkups like you should have to go see a therapist just to make sure mm-hmm. everything is good yeah. it'd be so nice but there's just not enough of them
0: yeah mental health is physical health so don't don't neglect one for the other because they're both very important
2: so you know if you guys get a chance take a look at that uh time ma- magazine article it's actually really good it's it's you know sobering but it's it's good
3: <laughs> maybe we'll maybe we'll put the link on our on our um facebook
0: page yes i can do that
3: all right well thank you dr sunshine i mean the information is good I love it. We're not going to stay this heavy. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> We're going to get into to some screenings, right? So, screenings that you're supposed to be having. So, I think one of the things that's happened, that's currently happening, is that I don't know about you all, but I'm getting a, a, a increased flow of people that are like, "Oh, hey, I missed my X Y Z appointment last year, and so I'm here because I need to catch up." Right? So now everybody's like feeling better about going outside people are willing to come back into the doctor's office. And so they're coming back in and they want their physicals and they want all their screenings or, you know, they're finally establishing care. And so people come in and they ask me about all kinds of things in labs that they think they should have. And so I thought it would be good to talk about screenings. Why it's important is because it dawned on me that people are hoping So people have suspicions, right? They've got concerns, things that are going on. And so what they then come in and do is say, I'm just going to come get a physical exam and I'm going to get all of my routine screenings done. And if everything comes back, okay, then I'm fine. (laughs) But most of the time... Almost every time, almost 99.9% of the times when people are saying, well, just go ahead and do your, just do a full workup on me so I can just make sure everything's okay. When I deep dive into that, nothing that you're thinking about, I would catch on a screening, right? Like I need to actually do a problem (laughs) visit for you so that we can give you a diagnosis. So we should go through what happens when we screen you and for particular ages so that you know whether or not you're coming to get your screenings. Or if you need to tell me what is your problem or what's your concern so I can make a decision about how we go about doing it.
1: I think I think that's really good because people do have different thoughts of what their annual physical is supposed to be. And it's just like, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> that's just,
3: that's
1: <laughs> not what we do. Right. Okay.
3: Yeah. So, um, okay, so so let's talk about some things that we screen. All ages. Right. So these kind of vary by age. So we'll try to break them down. We'll keep them broad so it doesn't take forever. Um, but so for all ages, um, there are a couple things that we screen. Depression. Shout out to Dr. sunshine is screened annually mm-hmm. in all ages. Um, we always check your blood pressure because we're always screening for hypertension. We always check your weight. You know, nobody gets in in and out the clinic without stepping on the scale and getting your blood pressure checked. We're always going to ask you about smoking we're always going to ask you about alcohol use. Now, just to get into alcohol use. Okay. So, um I had pulled down some stats uh for this and so um and shout out to Dr. Sunshine for educating us before we were even podcasters. Um so here's some here's some data for you. 38 million adults in in America drink too much. <laughs> Right. Wow. 38 million. Only, however, only one in six discuss it with a healthcare professional. Yeah. Right. So, so nobody's talking about it. So, and I think a lot of things are, and I think it's hard on both ends. So as you all know, we're family medicine doctors and prior to two years ago, When the, at the uh, family medicine conference where they kind of like revamped how you do screening for alcohol, it was so confusing. It was confusing to me as a resident. It was still confusing to me as a doctor because you're trying to screen based on what they, what kind of drink they like. What was their alcohol of choice? Was it beer? Was it wine? Was it hard liquor? Different ounces, different sizes, how many that you have. And y'all be in there shady as hell giving out these answers because, (laughs) you know, (laughs) I have n- nothing gets more more shady than asking people about their alcohol intake and their smoking because you're trying to predict like I always feel like patients are trying to either one or two things in their minds they have they have somebody think that they know drinks or smokes too much and so they're gonna give me a number under that or they are concerned that if I hear their numbers that I'm gonna think it's too much and so they're trying to figure out how to land under my
0: radar screen. <laughs> 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 I'm just, yeah, I'm just surprised all that goes on, and you know, like when y'all come into the ER, like shaking like a leaf, and you're trying to like not tell me you don't drink more than you know two pints in one sitting. I'm just like, sir, I'm here to help you. Let's, let's just help each other. Like, come on.
3: <laughs> yeah, well, you can imagine it's even worse in the clinic, right? Because in the outpatient, they feel fine, so you know, maybe yeah. they've not even had anything to drink today. So when you're like, so do you drink? They're like, yeah, you know. Well, what do you drink? A little something here and there, you know. A oh, couple times. <laughs> what does co- that mean? A couple of times. A couple times. times you no, know I mean, a couple times, two, three, a couple times an hour. I'd be like, wait, where
2: are we? Like, <laughs> I don't know where we are.
3: So I'm like, okay. So for, this is probably more for us than anything. So we have simplified it. For men, five or more drinks in one setting. And a setting means within the past two or three hours, Or four total in a day is considered too much. So anything over that is too much. For women, four or more drinks in one occasion or three in a day is too much. For everybody, if you get more than seven drinks in in a week, that's too much. Exactly. Exactly. Now, of course, the drinks still have sizes, right? Five ounces of wine, 12 ounces of beer, 1.5 ounces of alcohol that's 80 proof. But listen, I seen y'all pour them drinks, man. Ain't nobody hitting those numbers. So everything... (laughs) Everything is 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 over, right? So we're so, but I, fine. I'll give them to you. Five ounces of wine, okay? Has, I don't even know what five. I I don't even know what five ounces of wine looks like. I don't think my glasses are capable of only holding five ounces of wine, unless I drink it down to five ounces, okay? So <laughs> five ounces of wine, or a twelve ounce beer, or one point five ounce of eighty proof liquor, is considered a drink. So when you're pouring them at home, most people are probably making one and a half to two drinks per setting. So you have to take that into account. There's that. And then, of course, if you are pregnant or if you are underage, then your alcohol intake should be completely zero. Mm
0: -hmm.
3: So, you know, that's, you know, something that gets screened all the time. The other screenings we do for everybody is uh, HIV screenings and hepatitis B. So um, I do HIV screenings as a part of my annual labs. Now, and thank God it's gotten easier and easier to throw those HIV labs in there, because I know for the doctors that came before me when HIV screening first came on the scene, it it was probably like asking people to get COVID vaccinated. Right. Like I'm not. No. So, you know, shout out to all the know your status campaigns and all those things that now when I tell my patients like, hey, you know, here are all the routine screenings that I'm doing. Here's your labs. Most people are completely fine with it. So mm-hmm. that's everybody. And then the we talked about depression. So depression is interesting. Um we we have we have some cert, we have some questionnaires that we give you when when we're screening you for a depression. So uh depending on your answers, we may start to ask you more questions. Um and then we will kind of go into it more. So even if my even if you've done your screenings like before I got in the room, cause sometimes we can get those done, I am probably still going to ask you some questions again and that you are for real not having any symptoms. So, you know, there's me. Am I the only one who does that?
2: I have I mean, during the pandemic, I've had whole visits just dedicated to mental health nowadays, which I, which were rare for me pre-pandemic. So okay. I, I feel like it's um it's shifted a little bit okay. for mental health. Mm-hmm. Okay.
3: Yeah. All right. So let's go to the next major age group. Right. So we're going to do ages 18 to 39, because that's really kind of the first group, you know, it's the introduction to your routine health screenings. And there's some things that are specific to this group. So first things first, we need to talk about your overall sexual health. Right. So if we have not talked about it up until that point, if I'm just seeing you as a as a young adult, then that is the time to you know, ask questions about sexual activity. um, If you are active, if you are not active, uh, sexual preferences, you know, um, how you identify your pronouns, um, all those things we need to know because they do kind of change how we do your screenings um, for, and then also STD testing. So in most states, It varies by state, but in most states, from 18 to 24, 25, um, it is recommended that you give um, those ages routine STD screening, even if they're saying they're not sexually active. So your doctor may say, hey, I'm going to collect some urine. We're going to do STD testing because um, you will have the higher risk of coming back positive for STDs. And I for sure have you know, surprise myself with the chlamydia result is someone who told me they were virgins. So, you know,
2: (laughs) surprise,
3: we're all surprised. Right. I know. I'd be like, Hey, I hate to break. Are we all,
2: are we all surprised?
3: You know what? (laughs) They, they, they are also surprised too. And you know, you know, medicine can make you like the worst. Um, so <laughs> why? Because when I get, you know, when you get something like that back, and whether they're eighteen or eighty, right, and they're like, "No, I don't have any sex. Everything's fine," and then it's like gonorrhea, and you're like, mm. "Really? Like <laughs> how? How did so, that happen?" So I know, and so I think that it gets into the the weeds of how people define sex. Like, what is sex to people? What is not sex to people? Mm. Um, And so it gets it gets weird. Right. And so, you know, regardless of what I think sexy is, I, I keep it very plain and simple, like, you know, but people are, you know, make up weird ideas and rules for what they think counts as them engaging in, in, in intercourse. So some people don't count it if it's not full intercourse, whatever that means. Right. Maybe we only had anal sex and oh, I let him penetrate me just once. But it was really quick. So it really didn't count. Well, it counts enough to give you chlamydia or gonorrhea, even if it doesn't count for you to identify it as sexual intercourse. And so I've learned that people have weird ways. You don't want that
2: notch. Yeah. Nobody wants the numbers.
3: You know, (laughs) listen, I'm not here to police your
0: numbers. Right. numbers anyway. We don't
2: care about your numbers. not about that. We just trying to keep you healthy.
0: Numbers, body count. We don't care. Well, body count is different. Yeah, we need to know that. Um. But yeah, don't be mad when we ask.
3: <laughs> you know, I, I don't want you to feel like I'm judging your body count. It is what it is. I, I'm sure it was fun. Um, well, I <laughs> hope it was. Mm-hmm.
2: But <laughs> I sure hope it was. I, I'm just I know, right? I just
3: need to know because I want to make sure we screen you. But most states have simplified it for us to say, listen. If they're in this age, you should go ahead and just do that STD testing, which makes it easy for us. And I think it also makes it easy for them to get tested because we say, hey, listen, this is just a part of your screenings at this age. And even for people who don't really want to give up all the dirt, mm-hmm. then they're like, okay, yeah, I'll give you some urine. Um, cause every now and then I get somebody that's like, no, I'm fine. You know, I'm not really, ha- I'm not really doing anything right now, but then I'll get like a friend to call for them like a day later. Like, so where are my results? You, no. did you, did you see them? And I'm like, listen, Where'd you don't you have anything. And they're like, ah, <laughs> uh, okay. So yeah. So STD screening <laughs> for women. Um, women always got to go first. Right. So, um, pap smears are in this group. So listen, ladies, um, if you are currently like, somewhere between 18 to 20 something, then you live in a, and you live in a house of women, the women in your house, especially if they're older, are going to remember all kinds of things about pap smears. So we used to start pap smears for all kind of reasons, right? We have, we have changed the guidelines. Actually, what now, 10 years ago, I think these guidelines are, are old. Mm-hmm. So about yeah. 10 plus years ago, the guidelines changed. So Pap smears, which are screening for cervical cancers. That's the only thing we're doing in a pap smear, screening your cervix to make sure there's no cells on there that suggest a cancer. Pap smears start at the age of 21, regardless of what you are or are not doing with your vagina.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: We have said this before on the podcast. So again, for the people in the back, 21. Does not matter what you do with your vagina up to 21. No pap smear until you're 21. There's a screening for cervical cancers. And the general rule is we will repeat them once every three years. And you will get those from 18 until the age of 65. The only reason why that would change is if your pap smear came back positive for something. And then you have to see the gynecologist or see your family medicine physician. And they may change the routine of that. Okay. So from 18 to 30, you get standard pap smear. 30 and up, we add HPV testing onto it, and we can extend the interval in between your pap smear. But what you have to know is that at 21, they start, and you got to get it. Um, Well, you should get it. And that's important because women avoid them or choose to do them for all kinds of reasons. Oh, my mother told me I didn't have to have one because I'm not having sex except for you are your mother just doesn't know, but that's neither here nor there. Or (laughs) your mother remembers a time where we didn't have as much, you know, structure around it. So, you know, there's that. Um, So pap smears are a thing. Uh, Heart disease prevention starts at 18 y'all. Well, starts in your twenties, not 18. So your cholesterol gets checked one time in your twenties. We're checking your cholesterol. Again, we check your blood pressure all the time. Once you turn 35, we'll start checking your cholesterol every year. Why? Because at 20, if you've got elevated cholesterols, it's a really good time to start talking about lifestyle changes, diet, and all those things to make sure that 20 more years down the line, you're not seeing problems with heart disease. We do obesity screenings, again, tobacco use. And in this age, if you've got a family history of like breast cancers, um, And like mom, grandma, you know, aunt, a sister, we may have to consider BRCA gene uh, screening for you. So we can do that starting somewhere between this age. That's really the general thing for the 18 to 39s.
2: What's interesting is that you said we would start um, doing screenings for heart disease at 35, but isn't 35 for men and then 45 for women? (laughs) So I've been finding is a, it still divided up by gender now? St- still is that still a thing? I think I they
3: now just say annually at 35. So I've been doing everybody at 35 and I could not find the separation, right? Because
2: mm-hmm. it used to, it be, used to but be, be I think they might have changed it.
3: Because women, men premenopausal women still had
1: they have the estrogen,
3: so E2. Have- estrogen and that particular estrogen to, would be cardioprotective but 45 is the the early is the early range in the under the bell curve that you may start to see menopause set in which means you're going to change your estrogen over which means that you're going to lose that protection but for me um, in this current fluffy in, environment that we live in um, mm-hmm. 35 is just easier to to teach to everyone um, especially to families. And so we know that we get it done. And I'm finding a whole lot of um, hyperlipidemia, mm-hmm. which is elevated cholesterol.
1: Oh, I yep. just wanted to say that. I think that was really a really good breakdown that you, that you did. But I was thinking like, you didn't really mention about too many labs during that time.
3: Right. So, you know, this age group, your cholesterol is really it. Right. Like yes. we don't need Everything, right? (laughs) That's why. Are you are you peeing? Like, if you're making urine, I don't have to see a complete CMP. Now, there may be other things that are going on, right? So, you know, in some cases, when I've got you know someone that is like morbidly obese, and we're gonna start, you're on medication. So, this is what people need to get be clear on. We're talking about health screenings. Mm -hmm. We're not considering any disease process that you may or may not have. We are thinking about people that we're not, where we're not considering anything else. Your cholesterol generally in your 20s, doing it once is all I need. At 35 and up, I really only need your cholesterol screenings once a year. The problem is, by the time you are 35 and you're seeing me, you've got other things. You're pre diabetic because we called it elevated glucose somewhere. Um, You've got, you got a history of thyroid issues, so i got to check your thyroid. you got some medication, so I end up doing a BMP. You've got some obesity. I'm concerned about fatty liver disease, so I changed the BMP, which is a basic that blood. Channel, that
2: blood pressure creeping. That blood a pressure CMP. Creeping.
3: So other disease processes cause me to draw more labs, but they're not a part of your routine lab screening. We're doing those because we're trying to prevent a disease that we see coming. Yes but those are not the same as your as your health screenings.
1: Thank you for breaking that down because I have so many young people that come in they have nothing. And they're like, "Oh, I just want to get my labs. I want to get like a full panel labs." And I'm like, "We don't need that."
3: Everybody. Everybody wants I'm just here to get a full panel. What well, if panel? your full panel for you at 18 may so if let's say you're 25 and you've never had any blood work, your full panel is HIV screening and your cholesterol, basically. And, and some urine for STD. Now, if you come in at 25 and your BMI is 49, that changes
1: things.
3: (laughs) And your blood pressure is 151 over 92. Well, we may be doing yours your health screenings today, but you gotta come back. Because we got to talk about your blood pressure and your obesity. And I may get more labs because I'm going to use those labs to talk about what we do about your blood pressure and your obesity. Mm-hmm. That's when those mm-hmm. labs come in. Mm-hmm. And, and that's really important. And I, and I get that. it's It's not I don't I'm not telling you that it's your job to know that you as the patient. Mm-hmm. but it is your job to be aware of it so that when we're trying to, when your doctor is saying like, Hey, this is why I'm doing it. I don't want y'all don't need to be busting out the clinic, talking about some, this doctor is a sham. They ain't giving me what I need. I can't believe I went in there. And all. No, you're healthy. If you're healthy, you don't need a whole lot of labs when you're young. They want the data. They just want the data. Uh-huh. <laughs> Then we find some data and then are like, I just can't believe it. And why was it so expensive? And who going to pay for these labs? I don't know. Not me. Um, so, yeah.
2: The insurances are like, this is not indicated. Do they have a health condition? No, they don't. Exactly. They're healthy. They don't have anything.
3: More and more now, I, you know, I get tons of like, well, I, you know, I don't get them as much because you learn real quick that you start getting letters from their insurance company saying, can you justify this lab? Because if you cannot, then I'm going to go ahead and charge the patient full price. So I have gotten very con- you know, very used to say- telling patients like, listen, I know you want your vitamin D level checked and your vitamin B12 because you just feel so tired and it's got to be your thyroid and your hair shed a little bit. And so I'm here for... My screen is, so go ahead and screen my vitamin D and my B12 and go ahead and check my thyroid. I'm more than happy to do that. Listen, it's just an order for me. I can do that for you. I'm here for you as your doctor. <laughs> but your bill is coming and I am not here for you for that bill. That's all.
1: Right. You're on your own for
3: that. You're on your own. You're on your own. Because they don't cover it. You know, you got to have some other things going on. Right. So, all right. So this is really... Aimed at uh, minorities like African Americans, so I'm specifically pulling out ages forty to fifty, right? Because it becomes a unique group, and it's just, I call it the the like the gray zone of the most dangerous things. it's like the gray zone of death, right? Because these people walk the line, and and I'm always stressed out, right? Because they never look sick enough that you're worried. They're still young enough that you don't think you need to be worried but they can, they can be slippery and somebody can get really sick on you. Um, but from a health standpoint, there are some screenings that we have to talk about between 40 to 50 because they may be identified as early screenings, but we may need to do them considering things that are going on. So one of those are a breast cancer. So, you know, the the powers that be can't collectively decide on when they think we should start breast cancer screenings. Some societies say 40, some societies say 50, but what you have to know is that for African-American women, you tend to have poor outcomes from breast cancer and you tend to have a higher incident of um, higher incidence of the more aggressive subtypes of breast cancers. And for that reason, we want to start your screenings in your 40s. So if you have a family history of breast cancer, you definitely should start them in your 40s. If you are African-American or if you if you are of African descent, you should start them in your 40s. Now, you can negotiate with your doctor. You all can make a plan on whether, that, whether or not that needs to be every year or every other year. But your 40s is really a good time to sit down with your doctor to say, is this a good time for me to start my breast cancer screenings? Because most of us will say, yes, it is. I mean, that's all I got for that. Um, the other one is prostate cancer. Um, if you asked the, if there was a, wherever the urology society is, it drives them nuts to have prostate cancer, not a part of routine screenings, right? Prostate cancer screenings are tricky because they're not on the list of things we're supposed to routinely screen for lots of reasons. There's concerns that when we find an elevated PSA, which is what which is the, the lab we're running, that we're overly treating people, right? So that was the concern. But there's also another concern that in particular, particularly for African American men, that they get more aggressive subtypes of prostate cancer and have poor outcomes. And so the all the medical societies to be are kind of torn about what that means and how we go about it. And even as studies come out, it always ends up, after they get through debating through the study, there ends up being this asterisk that says we still have not answered the question yet on whether or not Black men need to be screened early. So it's worth the discussion. I cannot promise you that this is going to be paid for by your insurance, but I can tell you that I have a lot of my patients that say, you know what? I'm willing to pay for it out of pocket if it comes down to that, if you cannot, you know, find a way to make a case for it. Um, More and more, i finding my 40 and 50 year olds already having signs of BPH. And so sometimes we can throw that in there and get it to get screened. But prostate cancer is one of them that if you are between the age of 40 and 50, you need to at least talk to your doctor about whether or not it makes sense for you to get a PSA. It's blood work. So there's that one. Colon cancer screenings. We have done colon cancer. Mm. Um, so I think you all know the answer to this one. Between the ages of 40 and 50, it it is it is a conversation to have on whether or not you need to start your screenings early. Now, if you have a family history of colon cancer, it you need to find out a couple of facts. When did that family member become diagnosed with their colon cancer. Let's say your grandfather I don't know. No, let's say your dad um, was diagnosed with colon cancer at 45. You then need to be screened early for colon cancer and it needs to be 10 years earlier than his diagnosis. So in that case, your screening would start in your 30s. Yep. And so that's why it's important to know the family histories, particularly of colon cancers. And I ask just about everybody in the annual exam any family history of any breast, colon, um, or breast or colon, prostate, if it's and it. prostate cancers, because if you do have those, we need to know. So most colon cancer screening is start at fifty. We're talking about people who need to go early. More and more people are moving them up to forty five. But if you've got a family history, you may have to do it even earlier than that. Some people have to get colon cancer screenings as early as 20-something. So there's really no – you can always get a colonoscopy at any age if there's a good reason to do it. But between 40 and 50, we've got to make some decisions, okay? Um, 40 and 50 is now the time also to start talking about diabetes. We're going to screen you because you're becoming sweet
2: <laughs> on the inside and out. <laughs>
3: You are so good, <laughs> too good, and we got to screen you. So we're probably going to at least do one A one C, um, because a lot of people are pre diabetic or diabetic, and if we can catch it early, it makes a world of difference. So um, di- diabetic screenings are thing. Let can we talk about A one C's really quickly because. These A1Cs come back elevated and all of a sudden I got people in my office trying to explain away this elevated A1C. (laughs) A1Cs is a blood test (laughs) that looks at your red blood cells because when you have sugar in your blood, it is sticky and it leaves sticky molecules all over your red blood cells. Think of them as lollipops, right? So when you got a lot of sugar in your system, you end up sticking lollipops on your red blood cells, just to simplify it. And depending on how many of those lollipops are stuck on your red blood cell, I can calculate how much sugar has been running through your system over the past three months. Mm -hmm. So you got red blood cells that are covered in 14 lollipops. Your A1C is 14, and that is really high. And you are for sure diabetic. You might be in the hospital when you find it out. If you've only got (laughs) five lollipops on there, then your A1C is within normal range. And maybe you don't need anything. But an A1C looks at the past three months, right? So some people come in they say, "Oh, well, I'm not really pre-diabetic, or I'm not diabetic because actually, I didn't know you were going to run that test, and I had a piece of cake two days ago." That won't change your A1C <laughs> because the A1C looks at three months. People do; they do it all the time. No, They're like, do. "Oh, uh-huh. I don't think that's really real because you know, uh, it was it was my wife's birthday, and." We celebrated and we had a big dinner and we had cake and I've been eating leftover cake for the past two days and that's really why it's elevated and that's that's not what the A1C is the A1C is going to look at three months and it's going to tell me what your sugar levels have been over the past three months and so that's why we like the A1C so we're going to do that and then of course by the time you're in your 40s we're screening your cholesterol once a year.
2: I have thoughts, but I'm going to let you finish I'm, your. Uh, I'm 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 trying to be very nice and let you finish your. Uh... Oh, your, that's your it for forty of, to fifty. Yeah. That's it. No, yeah. don't make me prematurely stop you. You, you was the middle sentence.
3: No, no, that's that's it for forty to fifty because we really need because the next is fifty to fifty to sixty because those are the people who you know forty to fifty is that in betweener's right. So I just wanted to make sure people, particularly you know people of color, understood that between forty and fifty, we may need to be turning on the screenings that all start at fifty early. So you can mm-hmm. you can have it.
2: Well, I'll start off by saying that I agree with Amy Joe and um, listeners and my patients who might even be listening in case they found this or whatever. I'm saying this with love, but I agree with Amy Joe. that 40 to 50 age range, you guys are my least favorite by far, my my least favorite patient group. Like you guys drive me up a wall. You give me headaches. You're the reason why I stay up at night. And I'm thinking about that one patient I (laughs) saw. And if they're going to be okay. you guys are literally the worst. But I say this with love because I do love you. And the reason why you're the worst is because you still feel like you have like that energy and gusto of like a 20 or 30 year old. But you're actually creeping up towards the 50 year olds. But you guys are like in between and you don't really know like how to navigate. It's like you're old enough to know that you like should be doing something. Like you should be having something screened, right? Like you're old enough to point where you know you you might be able to, you should be doing something. But you're also young enough to the point where you're like, nah, I don't need no colonoscopy. I'm not 50. Oh, I don't need, you know, it's like you've reasoned it out. And then yeah. here you come in my office at a smooth 44 years old with like a, a high blood pressure, overweight, everything's a little off. Do your labs. It's all off. And I'm like, why is this so far off? And it's like, oh, no, you know, I was getting back into it's all this like rhyme and reasoning, and it's 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 so much.
0: So mm-hmm.
2: I agree with Amy jo. this this age range is very slippery, and it is a time where it's it's good that when you see that patient, you reel them in and you're like, hey, like this is the stuff that's active and this is what we also need to do because 40 to 50 you will easily end up with a to-do list i think amy joe did an amazing job and i also do talk to my patients and on top of that with the women the women that are between us like 40 to 50 especially the women that are like getting close to 50 they've been getting pap mm-hmm. smears for a while now so and the pap smear guidelines have changed on them already at least once or twice so every now and then they'll be like. Oh, we don't do them every year? Oh, okay. Oh, we do them every 5 years? Oh, okay. Oh, wait, we every 3 years now. We we rolled back. It's like so they're kind of like, you know, the mammogram guidelines have changed, the pap guidelines have changed. They're like casually keeping up but not really. So you got to make sure you really review these with the patients. Especially the guys for the for the prostate? Man, listen, that that's a whole conversation every time I have a, a any man over the age of 40 talking about the prostate is just that that's a whole discussion. So I'm happy you brought those up too.
3: Yeah. You know what's not a part of routine health screenings anymore, fellas? DRE. Me putting a finger in your bottom. I know what a digital rectal exams. Um, You can come to the doctor. We do not have to do a rectal exam anymore, a part of your routine health screenings. Although it was weird one time where, you know, this guy was like, let me see your nails. And I'm like, why? And he's like, because we got to get this screening. And I'm like, no, we don't. <laughs> right. I don't know what... I don't no, know what you came in here are. to do, but we aren't screening your rectum. Um, but you know, people we're remember like, oh, where we you said do DRE. Yeah, I was like, nah, <laughs> you you're in luck. We're not we're not gonna DRE you today. Um but yeah, we don't have to do it. So, and a lot of and people, re- you know, people learn from there from you know their parents or their grandparents. So their grandparents be like, oh, you know, when you get in there, just relax, it'll be fine. You'd be like, yo, Mm-mm. tell your granddaddy we don't do that anymore, okay? <laughs> um, <laughs> we're just gonna get this good blood work, mm-hmm. and we're gonna be fine. So,
1: so um, funny story, guys. I did. I had a a male that came in for his routine screening right? And then, you know, we he was in that age age range, and I'm like, okay, so we'll test for your prostate, and I told them, like, well, it's going to be a blood test, so we're going to do that, right? So I ordered all the labs, everything, I left the room. Then they come in, then the lab person comes in and says, oh, the patient wants to talk to you. I'm like, okay. <laughs> and she was like, she said something like, oh, the patient said that, you know, you're supposed to do a rectal on him. I'm like, a rectal? <laughs> <laughs> she said that you're supposed to do a rectal. I'm like, so I went in. I'm like, "Uh, so they told me that you said you wanted me to do a rectal on you. Is is there a problem? Is it?" And she was like, "No, because you said we got to check my prostate, so we got to do a rectal." Out. I said, "No, it's a blood test. Unless you want me to. I mean, <laughs> going on." He was like, "No, no, 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 problem. No, no problem." <laughs> They'd be like, "Yes, no." He was like, oh, "Okay, okay, okay." <laughs> but I was like, "Uh, it's a blood test. I don't do that."
2: Yeah.
1: No. No. Unless there's an issue, like you having some problems, that's a different story. Then if I'm trying to diagnose you with something, Mm -hmm. that's different. But for screening. Mm-mm.
2: And and on, and on top of that there's certain things that can raise the PSA. You know what I mean? So if yep. you, you know, like like a digital rectal like a digital exam, rectal exam your, and that's a, how we don't do them. <laughs> yeah, that can raise the PSA. Like any irritation right. of the prostate, like if you're doing anal receptive intercourse, that could raise it. You know what I mean? Like P, like digital rectal exam can raise it. So like, you know, test is only as good as you know, the situation and the person ordering it. You know what I mean?
3: Okay, so the next group is the 50 to 60 group. This is no longer the maybe we should check it out. This is the, okay, you really are due. Colon cancer screenings start at 50. If we did not start them between 40 and 50, then your colonoscopy should start at 50. All right, your colon cancer screening should start at 50. You you got some options, if I was being fair. I'm biased. I want everybody to have a colonoscopy at least once. But I get that everybody doesn't want to do it. So there's a couple things. You can do a Guard once every three years. That's the little box that dances on the commercial. Mm-hmm. They'll mail you a kit. It comes with a little container. You poop mm-hmm. in the container. You put a couple swabs. You twist it all up. You mail it back, and they will test it. Here is the only thing. If your Cologuard test comes back positive, then you still need a colonoscopy. Yep. Or you can do a fit test. Um Fecal immunochemical test. It's a, like a little, literally a little card that you, that you can get in the clinic. You, it's still a stool sample. You do it, you send it back and we test it. And as long as that's negative, you do those once a year. But if that comes back positive, then you have to get a colonoscopy. Mm-hmm. These days when you get a colonoscopy, it's the goal, is the gold standard, right? It's the Cadillac special. If it's normal, they will tell you to come back in 10 years. These days, I hear one of three things. Either I'll see you in three, five, or 10 years, right? 10 years, they saw nothing. Saw a polyp or two, I'll see you in five years. Saw a few polyps, we don't know what that's about. I'll see you in three years. I've seen those are the pretty routine things that come back on most of my colonoscopies. Or the you know the unfortunate group that actually ended up having colon cancer, um, those will come back. But that's the, the screening.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Mammograms. At 50, this is not negotiable, y'all. We have got to get these mammograms. It is time to start them. If for some reason we did not start them between 40 and 50, good for you. But we are definitely doing them at 50, and we're doing them every year. Um, Lung cancer screenings. So I, I hate asking y'all about smoking. I just want y'all to know. That
2: <laughs> y'all, you mean like the patients? You the hate patients. asking patients about I smoking. I hate I hate asking about smoking.
1: Yeah, because sometimes they be like, "Oh, do you, do you smoke?" If it's not a pack a day, they be like, "Oh, I smoke a I smoke like like every other day." So a pack will ask me about like uh, three days or. To uh, right, oh, you're me. right.
2: Then I'm doing that. I'm really, like,
3: I don't even smoke that. Oh. I mean, I, I buy a pack and that pack will mess around. I look up and that pack will still be there two and a half days later. Yes, sir. But how many do you smoke a day on average? Right. <laughs> That's all I need to know.
2: They had me doing math. I'm like, wait, I think there's 20 cigarettes in a pack. Yes. He said that pack lasts him a week. That's like two to three yes. a day. He's like, yeah, yeah, that sounds right. I'm like, why did not you just, just say, say that? that? Just say two or three cigarettes a day. Why am I doing all this math? I don't smoke. I'm assuming 20 come in a pack. I don't know.
3: <laughs> Listen, y'all can't see me, but it makes, my t- it makes me have to <laughs> massage my temples just thinking about it because- the amount of math that I'm trying to do. The the mental aerobics it is taking to get you one to admit you actually do. Do you smoke? Not really. Um <laughs> uh, so by not really you mean you do? Nah, nah, not nah, no, nah, I don't smoke, no, nah, no, nah, not really, not really. A uh, couple here and there. <laughs> so you smoke a couple. Okay. So in a week, how often do you do a couple here and there? I mean, I don't really smoke like that. You know, a pack <laughs> might might last me a couple days, might last me a week. Y'all, listen, we're trying to calculate something. So there is, <laughs> there is this thing called a pack year history. Oh
2: if God you have a God.
3: 30 pack year history, then we need to screen you for lung cancer. Okay? And...
2: They don't care about they don't care about our calculations. They don't. They don't, they don't care.
3: So when we're asking <laughs> you about your smoking, we're trying to get an idea of how much it is. And here's the thing: you've got to smoke a lot of cigarettes to really have a 30-pack year history. So if most of you all are under a pack per day, then it's probably not gonna apply to you. But but there's also a good group of people that are like, I've been smoking a pack a day since I was 20, and now you're 55. Mm-hmm. So if you've been doing a pack of days since you were 20, then tag you're it. So we need to do what we call a lung cancer screening. So it's a CT scan. It's a we call it a low dose CT scan. It's a picture of your lungs. Your doctor is gonna have to have a conversation with you about doing this screening because it's important for us to know what you want us to do with this information. So we only do this screening. Under some very specific circumstances, we have to ask you some very specific questions. And the reason why is that it's very sensitive. It'll catch everything, including Mm -hmm. things that are not cancer. And if we catch something, we want to do something about what we caught. But if you know right away that there is no way on God's green earth, you're going to let me send you to the pulmonologist and get a sample of whatever I saw, then we should not screen you for lung cancer. It's just not worth it. Because the only thing we're going to do is say, huh, we see something in there. You don't want us to check it out. So we'll just pretend like it didn't happen. We don't have to do that. First of all, this little bit that's torturous to you as the patient. And that was not the point of the exercise. So we're going to ask you a few questions. We're, we're going to ask you one, What's your? how much do you smoke? And if that, if that smoking amount qualifies, then we're going to ask you a bunch of questions about whether or not we should proceed with the screening that is one of the only rare ones that depending on your answers it may or may not be a good idea Mm -hmm. your feelings about all the rest of them it doesn't matter we still recommend it um your breast cancer and your colon cancer screenings the show must go on i know you don't like it but it's okay um (laughs) we're gonna get them done the lung cancer screenings it matters yeah um so that's, and that's, 50, that's 50 to 60. Now, here's the last group that I'm going to do, and that's our 65 years of age and up. If you are 65 and up and you have ever smoked, then in your life, right, then one time we're going to do an ultrasound and you're, a, and you're a male. One time we're going to do a screening on your abdominal aorta, that big, large vessel that goes past this through your belly. We're going to do an ultrasound on that to make sure it's not big abnormally big we you know so we're screening you for an abdominal aortic aneurysm and that's an ultrasound we do it one time and we're done so -hmm. if you have ever smoked this is now your time to get that ultrasound For the ladies, now is the time to get your bone density screenings done. We want to make sure you don't have osteoporosis. I get a lot of black women that say, I know I don't have osteoporosis because I'm black. My bones are dense. You know, I'm good. I'm magical. You are magical. Your bones are dense. But we just screen you anyway, okay? Because, you know, sometimes this magic still needs a little help with the screenings, all right? Mm -hmm. Um, but I get a lot of that. Like I'm black, you know, I'm I'm, I'm big bone, you know, I'm good. Yeah, that's true. You are good. You are black. You are magical. Let's screen you anyway. And so we're going (laughs) to do those bone density screenings. And then we also start talking about fall prevention in this age group, right? I know you still feel young and you are young and girl, you look good because black girl magic is amazing, right? I see women (laughs) and I'm like, you look amazing. I know you feel young, but I do not want you to trip and fall especially if you've got you know soft bones or low bone density, because any fracture in this age is going to be trouble. It's going to put you out of commission. And so we're working on things that prevent that, right? Some of the things that prevent falls is, well, one, staying very active. So I tell women, I try to tell women in the 18, 20, 30s, 40s, you are not going to bulk up like Arnold Schwarzenegger, okay? you still should very much do weight-bearing activities because building muscle will prevent you from falls at, at 65 and up. So good muscle structure, good bone structure, and being very active helps along the way. Sure, you can take your vitamins. Yes, we want you to have your calcium. Yes, we want you to have your vitamin D. But your conditioning, how in shape you are throughout the years helps you not fall 65 and up. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, and that's really it, eighteen to sixty-five, and that, that that really covers it. Um, it's important for y'all to know them. If your age group came up, if you if you wrote them down, please stick them somewhere. Talk to your doctor about them. If something was not in here and you're like, wait a minute, she didn't say it. I didn't say it on purpose. There's a couple of things that come up in the office and people are like, well, you didn't do this a part of my routine screening. I had a I had a patient that was coming to see me who had left a the doctor. that was probably an amazingly wonderful doctor. And, that, and And she was very upset because she thought that the doctor was playing her on her screenings because she was like, I mean, she wasn't concerned about my heart. She didn't even give me an EKG. You all an EKG. Is not a part of routine screenings. Nope. There's, there's nothing about an EKG that I need to do to check for anything just because. EKGs are when you're telling me something is wrong. And so yes, there's lots of reason to do EKGs in the office. We do them a lot, but I'm not doing it because I'm just screening just in case. That's not the reason why I do EKG. We do do a lot of labs. You do, And you get more and more labs as you go. But um, when I'm talking about screenings, I'm trying to do labs that make sense for prevention. This is all about prevention. If you are waiting to come to your doctor because there's something that's bothering you, right? Something on your mind. You're a little nervous. I just sure hope this isn't cancer. Man, you know, I'm really scared about this. I'm going to just go in there and just, just get a checkup to make sure. It would help you and me. I think every physician will say this. If you just went ahead and told me what you're scared about, and then let me figure out how to work that in. Because it may not be in the screenings. What you heard here is really, that's just about all of it, y'all. Mm-hmm. So... If you are like, oh, well, why they aren't they going to check that? It's because it's not a routine thing, right? We check it because you already have some condition or some disease or some, you know, something that's happening that's making me concerned that I need to investigate. So investigating things and screening you are very different. And so I just want you to know the difference, man, so that you can get good care.
2: So. I agree. That happens it happens all the time. Especially patients come in. Once you actually ask them what they're concerned about, they're like, Oh, well, I'm actually really concerned about my liver. And I'm like, Oh, okay. Why are you concerned about your liver? And mm-hmm. then we like then it like prompts discussion because I depending on your age and you know, wherever you fall within the spectrum, I might not check your liver today. I, that maybe I wasn't gonna order a and P today. You know what I right. mean? Or maybe I wasn't gonna like oh, you have a history of liver cancer. Oh, okay. Like in who? Okay. Now now I'm like gig, digging a little deeper. Oh, they'll be like, hey, I'm concerned about my liver because I know that I've been drinking too much. Like I, I know that. And I'm like, oh, this opens a whole another door. Let's right. talk about your drinking. Let's investigate your liver. What's happening? You know, it's, it's, and I agree, Amy Jo. If you guys start off with that, because that might not be part of the screenings because we just told you the screenings and a lot of stuff isn't in there. Right. The liver, the gallbladder, the appendix. Like, you know, you guys have lots of concerns that are not within these screenings. Do I have an ulcer? Like, oh, my pancreas. I read something about pancreatitis. What's that? Like, you know, all this, it's not in there.
3: Yeah. Or fatigue. Fatigue is a big one. Oh, I'm Mm -hmm. feeling really fatigued. So I'm just coming to get my exam. And then, you know, you can tell me. And then you call them back with the labs that you did run for them. And they're like, well, why you ain't check my thyroid? Well, why you ain't check my A1C? Well, you're not diabetic. And... We checked your A1C a year ago, so you know we checked your. We just checked your A1C six months ago. You're not diabetic, so we wouldn't check it again. Well, I just figured y'all would check it because I've been having these symptoms. That's very different. Mm-hmm. Everything that's in your screening, we do. Whether you don't matter if you have symptoms. Like these screenings do not matter if you're symptomatic or not. These are screenings. Symptoms mean we need to talk about problems. Those are, those are very different. So, you know.
2: Even before I do my physicals or routine health visit, I'm like, how do you feel today? Like, I'm Mm -hmm. I'm like, like, what's on your agenda? How do you feel today? Because if you come to me with some like, oh man, I got this, I got this pain and my abdomen has been bothering me. It's gnawing, it's getting worse, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, let's talk about that because this is not the day to do your well physical exam and talk about all this other stuff because you you actually really want to talk about this thing mm-hmm. and you're covering up and you booked a physical because you're like, oh, maybe I should just get it. I'm like, no, no, no. Let's talk about the thing. Like what's yeah. what's, this, what's this thing? <laughs> yeah,
3: just get to the thing. Please and thank you.
2: Right, but I love it when they're like, "Actually, I actually really do feel well today, and I really just want to make sure everything's up to date." I'm like, "Bet you're the person who's so in the right nice. place at the right time. That's yes. awesome. Good job. Yes. You get a gold star. Let's start."
3: <laughs> you know what? Also, you know what they? You know what I've, I've kind of figured out that people do, because they because you know the insurance will cover a a physical every year, and it's without charge. I think they go ahead. They're like, well, let me go ahead and book my physical. I don't have to pay for a physical and I'm just going to come and get my physical. And then, you know, if something's wrong with me, we'll find out. Y'all, Mm-mm. I can't do a problem <laughs> Chris, visit. She like, Mm-mm. look, because, I, you know, you have these conversations because I don't. I, again, I don't want you to get billed. Right. Because I got to document it. Listen, your insurance company does not need my permission to read your notes. They do not need no, your permission to read your notes. You have insurance through this person, which means they have access to your health care information because they are covering some of your expenses. So, like, I, I remember once I had a lady, she was so mad. She was a smoker and um, it was in a record. And, you know, periodically the insurance companies will like, you know, audit the charts and just make sure like all the documents, everything are fine. And so because she was a smoker, they like wanted to change something on her insurance. She was so mad. She was like, nobody told you to call the insurance company and tell on me. And I'm like, yo, out of all the things I'm doing in a day, I guarantee you that I am never picking up the phone to call the insurance company.
2: (laughs) Not if I can help it. That is If If it
3: were to me, I would never call them. Ever.
2: Um, Ever. I got a whole team for that. No. Exactly.
3: But they do read your charts, right? They do read, you know, what we're building and stuff like that. And so, you know, you you were like, I'm gonna get this free physical exam. We did a physical exam, and but that's not really what you wanted. One, either you're gonna be disappointed because you did not get the questions answered, and now you need another appointment, or we discover that this actually isn't a physical. This really is a problem visit because we, there are things to investigate, right? Legitimately, your concerns are on the money. You are right to be concerned. Let's investigate it, and through that investigation, that becomes a different kind of visit, and that's not—that's really not a physical exam. So it just kind of help. I hope some of these are helping you all just better direct traffic when you're going to get in the office, we, we want you to be armed with information. We want you to get the best experience, maximize the opportunity, but we also want you to know from our standpoint, you know, what we're on the hook for or, or how we go about deciding, you know, what to do and what not to do. There's Good
2: job, Amy
1: Jo. That was, that was really great and comprehensive. And I also want to let you guys know too, like, If you come for your annual physical and you have a problem and you want me to address it, I will bill for that. And you will get a copay. Like, I'm sorry. That's just what it has to be. Because, And I'll let you know, like, okay, you know, you wanted to address these things and it's great. We can address this. But do know that I have to bill it a different
3: way. That's it, I agree.
1: That's it, that's it in a nutshell, y'all. So, yep. I guess, I guess it's time for us to move to the questions. The questions,
3: it's the questions. What is the questions? It's
1: the questions.
2: I like Who that. um yeah, I'm gonna just record Amy Joe with a dope beat behind it, and that's just gonna be the intro. That's yes. gonna be the I'm gonna the intro. Yes. do that. Don't forget I'm me, my, though, because that's so you know, my to do. Don't forget me. I, I'm can't, good I, can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. I can't record your dance moves as a hype man. Like, no, but that's I'm not a hype come man. Come through on the audio.
1: Okay. So like, going through a, on the audio. I, I'm going to put a ficky, fiki, ficky. Fiki. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yes. Oh, or like, or like a P. Diddy? Like a take that, take that. Yeah. It's good.
0: <laughs> take no, that, take that. ad libs once we're done with it. <laughs> this is hilarious.
2: Okay. So I think you, we- you, got, you, got, you got to figure out a catchphrase like DJ Khaled. I'm going to work <laughs> on it. Or, B- or Diddy.
3: Oh, <laughs> I know, right? I'm
1: going to work on that. I'm going to work on We the best. No, I can't do that. Can't do
2: that. Oh, what was what was Jermaine Dupri's? Jermaine Dupri's was uh wasn't it? We all we got. No, that was Nelly. That was Nelly and them. Anyway, point is you know. need a catchphrase. But... I'm gonna
1: work on it. I'm gonna work on it. Work on it. Okay, so oh. I think we only got time for one question. But sure. Um, this is a pretty long one. Okay. So, oh so, gosh. I mean, yeah. Okay. So <laughs> <laughs> says hello, doctors. I've had an issue for about a year now with no answer. Late March 2020, I had this feeling uh, this feeling in my neck like there was food caught in my throat. I've seen many doctors, my PCP, two GI doctors, two ENT doctors, hematologists, two endocrinologists, cardiologists, pulmonologists, rheumatologists. No one has helped me with this issue, but they all have diagnosed me with an issue within their field. When I asked if there was some I could something I could do homeopathically to help the issue, they say I have the answer. They say I have the answer and it's always no. Nothing can be done. When I hmm. asked to be referred to the Mayo clinic because no one could help with my initial presentation, they said no one at Mayo could help me at all. Here we are, a year later, they are richer by charging me and my insurance. Uh, my insurance close to 70, 70K, and I still have the same issue now with other possible ailments. Last year, I only had hypertension before I had the throat sensation. Now, along with the same throat uh, sensation, I have hypertension, Raynaud's, very low WBC, and mixed connective tissue disease. My question, I feel exhausted dealing with all these doctors who I believe don't care about me as long as my insurance goes through How can I get some answers and work towards healing and becoming
3: 100% again? Mm. Mm. That's so hard. Let me just say, um, can I just say one thing before we get started? I know y'all think that, because we were talking about like billing and coding and stuff like that. Like when you walk out the room, I don't. You don't walk in the room and I'd be like, hell yeah, that's four hundred and fifty dollars right there. Like, it it doesn't, (laughs) (laughs) it does not work like that. Um, Somebody's making money. It just ain't us. Like not in the way you think. Like we have good jobs, obviously. We we are, you know, we have salaries, we're we're paid, we're paid well, right? We're well compensated. But I would not by any stretch of the imagination define myself as rich in any any way. And I think, you know, this is the hard part, right? Like we're responsible for billing because we work for Corporations, right? We work for health systems that need to be compensated for all the stuff they do to allow us to work in there. But it doesn't mean like, oh, if I do this to you, then somebody's going to kick me, kick back some cash for me. And that can be frustrating when you're not finding answers because you're like, I, but the money y'all are paying to your insurance company is a whole lot. And sometimes that, feels like, man, that must mean that the doctor's getting paid a whole lot. And most of the time it's not. I'm getting a very, very, very tiny, tiny, tiny compensation for you being there. It doesn't result like that. Your big deductible, the people who are taking that money is not us. You you should look at your insurance company for that. So let me just say that. Secondly, there's just so much more to know, right? We could ask you 10 million questions because- (laughs) Yeah. there's just not enough information in there, I'm so far. I'm sorry that you are not getting the answer. It sounds like you've been to many doctors, and you're finding everything but your original, the answer to your original question. And so that sucks. Um, yeah. it, there's not enough information here. I think to really tell you exactly what to do. You know, you can always call. You know the Mayo Clinic or some place to say, you know, who do I need a a referral to? Because your primary care doctor can refer you to anyone, right? Mm-hmm. The specialist doesn't have to refer you to um, another specialist. That's what your primary care doctor is there for. And so I've had patients come to me all the time to say, you know, I went to the specialist. This was my experience. I overall was not. Um, satisfied or I did not think it was complete I just like a second opinion when you put a referral in for me and I just say yes right like yeah you know all the time I Mm -hmm. I put it in Mm -hmm. so there is hope that if you you have a particular place that you're going to get to can we put that in we can the rate limiting factor is is your insurance going to cover it that part I don't know so that's where it gets hard that I have to tell people I don't know what this means for your insurance but I am more than happy to put a new referral in for you to see somebody else Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah
1: because it's it's really hard because especially when you go to specialists specialists because because they're very specialized in what they do they only think about their particular system that they do right so they don't a lot of times look at the whole picture right so it could be multiple things going on at the same time or one particular but sometimes it's just hard to diagnose certain things right and it is and it could be frustrating and uh like amy joe said there's there's a lot that we don't know too, so we can't fully answer the question the way you would want.
2: I will throw something in here. Um, I co signed with Amy Jo on the fact that there are so many loose ends here and so many questions we could ask. But I will I will throw something in here in particular you are currently seeing three people who should be looking at this from a big picture perspective. So if you've been diagnosed with Raynaud's and connective tissue disease, And, you know, so on and so forth. So you should have a rheumatologist on board. Rheumatology usually looks at things from a big picture. That's one person who you really need to pick their brain probably a little bit more to help you out a bit. The second person is an endocrinologist. Mm -hmm. Not quite sure why you're seeing endo. Might be because they thought that the swallowing, maybe the thyroid, compressing things, maybe you went down that route. Mm -hmm. Possibly but endocrinology is also a big picture perspective and they're very lab based and numbers based. Um, So that's another one. And then you also have your primary care doctor. So there are, there are three people in this equation who should be looking at you from a holistic perspective, because I agree. Once you get into ENT and GI, they specifically are looking at that one organ system and they're like, yo, this ain't it. Mm -hmm. Or like, or from what we saw, this is the most that we can offer you. And mm-hmm. even within that realm, you can still get a second opinion from those specialists too. So I, I don't want you to feel defeated as in like, you have this thing that's bothering you and you don't have options. You have an option to get a second opinion from ENT and GI. And then you ha- you also have the option of talking to your rheumatologist endocrine and your PCP to just try to think outside the box a bit. Mm-hmm. To be honest, your PCP... Is probably, and you, I hope you have a good relationship with your PCP because your PCP is probably working overtime, trying to get all of these notes from these specialists and keep your chart organized because that in itself is a chore. Oh, <laughs> so oh, I'm oh, letting oh, you know, oh. I'm letting you know right now your PCP is just trying to keep up because every time you see a specialist and every time they update a note, your PCP has to like sign off on that thing and keep track of like, what, what is everybody doing? Like, <laughs> like, What are they doing to you? Did they start you on a new med? What's the diagnosis? What's happening here? But um, I'm just saying this to give you a little little wiggle room and just know that you do have some power and you do have options here. That's all. And I don't want to blame everything on rheumatology, but low key, if you got Raynaud's and connective tissue and other stuff going on, you know, rheumatology might have some thoughts on what's going on too. That's all.
1: Yeah. And even with like the mixed connective tissue disease, like stuff like that, like you could have so many symptoms with that it could maybe explain pretty much all of it but rheumatologists are pretty good clinicians in the sense that they they like you said they do have to look at everything Um, big picture mm -hmm. big picture but then there are also specialized rheumatologists so some of them that only work with like if someone has like uh rheumatoid arthritis or some that just work with like
2: Lupus. lupus some like only do lupus. yeah only so do so maybe what
1: you would have to do is maybe look for the rheumatologist that specializes in doing mixed connective tissue diseases like mm-hmm. and that can maybe give you help you navigate where else to go you know
2: mhm yep. but all is not lost yeah. you know keep keep hope you know keep the faith all that jazz yeah. we'll get to the bottom of it
1: yeah sometimes sometimes it just takes I know it's hard, but it takes patience to really get to it because sometimes people have things that are something rare that we don't normally look for, right? But it takes a yes. long time before we can find it because it's not something that we normally look for.
3: So and you know yeah. something else that gets frustrating to patients, I know and i and I and it's hard is that every time you see a new physician, especially if you tell me like, people have been through this over and over again and they can't find an answer. You get frustrated cuz we feel like we're starting at the beginning. But sometimes for me when like somebody's telling me like, you know, I keep telling everybody that all these things are wrong and nobody's listening. I've got to start at the beginning to figure out, do we need to like did we get too narrow too early? So yep. we may start asking you questions that seem like that's already in the chart. Like, why are you asking me that? Doctors may start over to be like, let me just hear it all again for the first time, because maybe something we missed. We must have missed something if all of us cannot find you an answer. And so, yep. you know, it's a it's a it can be a long, frustrating process when you are looking for something that's not evident or not obvious, rather not obvious. Um, but. I, would you know, try to keep searching Um I hope this helps.
2: I would love an updated email if someone gives you a diagnosis. I'm so curious.
3: I know me too. Or If you've got like more information you want us to read offline, like tell us. We are very (laughs) interested. Mm -hmm. Um,
0: So, yeah. All right. So be sure to check us out at the chocolate MDS. That is our Twitter handle, our Facebook and Instagram account. Uh, Check us out there for updates to our social media about the new episodes and topics. And also, Please be sure to send in your questions um, either to our Gmail at thechocolatemds at gmail.com or head over to our website,
2: ww.thhocolatemds.com, and we'll be sure to address them on our next show. I'm gonna start I'm gonna start logging into our social media because of the way my life is set up. I'm gonna start logging in and just, you know, mm. cause, cause it a ruckus, but a good ruckus. Be like, yo, what y'all doing? <laughs> 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 on behalf of the shots of them D's like, yo, what's up? How y'all doing? What y'all want to hear about? Let me know. Like, what? Yes. Oh, I'm, gonna be, know. I'm gonna be retweeting with responses, like just being super active on there. I don't know how active Nona was. I'm gonna be real interactive, kind of like how Rihanna used to be super re- <laughs> interactive with her followers. Oh yeah, she's Rihanna, been going Rihanna. in. Rihanna used to Rihanna used to be the worst. <laughs> some some of that action. But yeah, cool. regard regardless, we are out. Thank you so much for listening. And we will Yay. T- Talk to you guys in a couple weeks. Bye, guys. Wear your mask. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs)